Thanks, Larry. Let's uh, pray as we prepare for the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would uh, pray that you would be with us today. I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds. Help us to um, hear you and hear from you, and help us to just take everything that would be in the way of us um, coming into your presence. Help take everything that would be in the way of us hearing your voice. Take everything that that um, sits in our hearts and, and makes us blind and deaf to your word. Um, just in, and put it out of this place, Lord. Put it out of our hearts. Put it out of our lives. Um, be with me as I uh, share the message this morning. Help me to uh, be faithful to share uh, what's actually there and, and not what I want to be there. Um, help me to be um, faithful in, in preaching your word. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, my wife and I went on vacation last week. Yay. Um, and and we, we went and visited... Um, uh, my in-laws, which is my wife's family, um, they live in they live in Houston. Um, now, in case you've forgotten, it's July. No, it was July when we were there. Um, it was July when we were there, and Houston is is interesting. It's um, what would be the right word? Yeah, that would be the right word. It's it's hot, like 95 degrees all the time. You know, the sun goes down, and it's like the town doesn't get the message. And so it stays hot, and it's about, I would say, like 110% humidity all the time, but it didn't rain to cool anything down. So <laughs> it, was, it was hot and humid all week. And my wife and I, like, we have a very different, um, I realized this week, we have a very different perspective on what vacation exists for. Um, I'm sorry, that came out wrong. <laughs> my, my wife, who is wonderful... Um, asked me over and over again, what are we going to do in, in Texas? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and my attitude is when I go on vacation, I want to read books. I want to go for walks. I maybe want to go to the movies. Um, you know, I want to do, like, a lot of nothing, right? My wife, on the other hand, is, is a destination vacationer, apparently. But she picked Texas anyway. I love you, honey. Um, and, and so we get there, and, and my wife gets there, and she has a list. And, and that list um, is, is, is full. Um, we used every moment of our vacation very well. We went to, to, to um, lots of places. I can, I'm sure I'll remember some. We went to my wife's family reunion, which is, or not family, high school reunion, which was very entertaining for the wrong reasons. Um, we went to uh, a place called the Redneck Country Club where I stood out like a, like a broken sore thumb. Um, I know I didn't blend with cowboys. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> uh, we did other stuff, didn't we? Oh, we went and saw the Astros play. Yep, and, and I'm a big sports fan. It was wonderful. Actually, the Astros game was one of the highlights. It was fantastic because it's a dome and it was air-conditioned. It was the most comfortable place we went the whole time. Um, we also went to the zoo, yeah, and, and I, I dared my wife repeatedly that every zoo is a petting zoo if you're brave enough, but she did not feel the kids needed to pet the animals, <laughs> um, but we ate barbecue and that was good. Um, so, so we did this, now, now there's two mindsets at play here. My mindset is I arrive and I arrive for the purpose of, do, you know, of being there and doing nothing, right? The challenge of vacationing at home is that, like, there's stuff to get done. 
and people call you. And like that negates vacation. Whereas in another state, nobody can come and see you. No work can get done. I mean, you're in somebody else's house and all that. And so, um, like, my idea is we get there and we do nothing. It's just about arriving and, and being there. And my wife's idea is get there and do stuff. And, and I don't think – I actually had to sleep several days, like, long when we got home to catch up with the sleep from getting home at 2 in the morning from, from cowboy rock music and stuff like that. Um, um, but this is a mindset. Now, as I'm, I'm telling this story for a reason, and it's not just to get myself in trouble, um, <laughs> but, but I'm telling this story for a reason because there are two mindsets we see. We see it in the world around us, and particularly we see it in the church, okay? We see um, I'm here, and now I'm, now I'm going to enjoy it, right? And I'm here, and there's stuff to do. Got it? Keep it in mind because we're going we're gonna to come back to it. Um, the destination is the objective and what we do in the destination is the objective. Two mindsets. Um, we're in Nehemiah 9. We've been working our way through Nehemiah. Real quick, if you've uh, not been here, I can't recap the whole series, um, but just the real short version. Um, the book of Nehemiah is the story of a construction project gone haywire. Um, the city of Jerusalem, about 100 years previous, had been sacked by another nation, uh, the folks had all been dragged away as slaves, basically, and the walls of the city were destroyed. The city was burned down. There weren't any houses. And um, in waves, the people of, of Jerusalem, you know, the people of Israel, the Jewish folks, came back home to, to their home city, to Jerusalem, into their home country, Israel, or Judah specifically. They came home in waves, and um, Nehemiah is kind of the last wave. He shows up, and he shows up because the city itself is trashed, and he rebuilds the wall around it, which is a big deal because without a wall, you can't be protected, right? It's easy for us here, like nobody breaks into our houses usually, I'm mainly because every Montanan has six guns in their house, and nobody wants to break in because, you know. But, but like we lived in, or we visited Costa Rica a while ago, and every house has an eight-foot-tall barbed wire fence around it because... Folks are coming in to take your stuff. <laughs> um, and so, like, that's why they needed this wall, because there, there are people around who want what they had, and they would come in, and they would steal, and they would raid, and they would um, create havoc. And so the Jewish folks, they needed this wall. Um, Nehemiah builds the wall, but he faces a number of obstacles on the way, some enemies of the people, some political pressure, some complaining from within. Very important with this, there were folks in the city who are wealthy who were taking advantage of the people around them and cheating them. Got it? And Nehemiah called them out, and they had this big public meeting and a trial and everything else, and it all worked out in the end. Um, but now the wall is done. It's like Lord of the Rings, if, or the Lord of the Rings books. Like the last book ends halfway in, and then there's several chapters. It's like, wait a minute, I finished the book. What's going on? And it just keeps going. And this is one of those ones. They finished the wall, and the story keeps going. So Nehemiah's wall is done, and in the last chapter, we see where he put guards on the wall, because what's the point of having a wall if... Doesn't have guards, right? And now we get to the, the real focus, um, Nehemiah's next step. He has reached the destination, and he does not sit on his laurels. Got it? He, he soundly declares that Eric's idea of vacation is wrong. <laughs> um, show up at the destination. The wall is built, and he looks and says, well, we need to populate the city, and we need to invest in the people, right? And so he starts this process of investing in the people, we're going to start in on Nehemiah chapter 8. 
I think I got slides. There it goes. Um, if you have a Bible, you can follow along in your own Bible. It'll be on the screen as well. Um, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, um, a couple of real quick things. This is not the temple, right? This would have been an enormous gathering, several thousand people, like 10,000. Um, huge, huge crowd of people in the city. They are all there. And they tell Ezra, come on out with the, with the book of the law which is like the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is probably what he was reading from. Um, so he, they, he brings out this book. Now, it's also important to note Ezra. There's a book of Ezra, right? And Ezra is the story of the rebuilding of the temple. And the fact that Ezra shows up in Nehemiah is important if you're interested in scholarly stuff, but it's not important today. Um, so verses 2 and 3. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. We're going to hit pause here. There's an important component there. It is not showing up. Everybody got it? Showing up is not the point. Understanding is the point, right? Um, Understanding is the point because um, God isn't concerned about us just showing up. Got it? If I show up and my heart is full of rot and decay and anger and hatred and meanness and selfishness and self-centeredness, God ain't impressed by the fact that I showed up. Everybody with me? Like what God desires out of us is something more. And understanding is the first step to that. And so we have men, women, and children, like children old enough to understand, on the first day of the seventh month. By the way, this is New Year's Day for the Jewish people. This is like they would celebrate the New Year, and so this is actually a holiday, which is why they gathered. And when they gathered... They said, hey, how about we read the book of the law while we're here? And so Ezra goes and gets it, and he, um, um, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the law. So Ezra gets up, and he reads for about six hours. So if you think I talk too long, be aware, it could be longer. Um, so Ezra gets up, and, and actually, like, I think it's mentioned in the next verse, he's actually standing on a platform. Um, maybe even a tower is actually what the word means. So he's elevated so everyone can hear him. Folks are listening. He reads for about six hours. It's not long enough to read the entire first five books of the Bible. He probably just reads, um, like, Deuteronomy is the book of law. Well, it's actually a collection of sermons, but it has a lot of law in it. Leviticus is the same way. Um, Exodus, in Exodus, there's a spot where God sort of makes a contract with the Jewish people. And he's like, all right, here's the contract. Do these things. Here's the Ten Commandments. Start with these. And then also don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. You know, feed the poor people around you. Take care of folks. You know, he has this whole collection of things. So he's reading from this law, this agreement between God and the Jewish people that's called a covenant. But it's basically a contract. Like you sign a cell phone contract or you click OK on on a software installation, am I the only one who doesn't read that? Yeah. No. <laughs> and it's a lie, right? Like, yes, I've read it. Um, <laughs> but, but so, like, he actually reads it to them for six hours, um, and they are they're excited to hear it. They're hungry to hear it. I, I have trouble listening to a sermon for six hours. Like, I, I'll drive, and I'll put on a sermon, and I'll listen to it not for six hours. I can't do it, right? Um, but I could sit down and watch Netflix for six hours. Am I the only person who does that occasionally? 
So, like, the reason I can watch Netflix for six hours is because I'm excited to hear what happens next. These folks were able to sit and listen because they wanted to know this stuff. Um, So we're going to go on. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform, I had said that, right, a tower, that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Methathiah, terrible with Hebrew, so I'm butchering these, but you don't know. So Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Meseliah on his right hand, and Pedaliah, Mishael, uh, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbarana. My Hebrew is terrible. I'm sorry, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left. So he's standing up there with seven people on one side and six on the other. Got it? When I would teach kids, like at the children's home, I would just make up names. <laughs> Bob, John, Steve, but I can't do that here because that would be evil or something. Um, so he's got, he's got folks standing on either side of him, okay? And actually, there are some churches that will take this passage and say, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. And so, like, I, I've guessed preached in churches where you have to sit up front next to the pastor, or, you know, like other people sit around you while you wait for your turn to get up and preach, which is hard for me because I'm not attentive. And so it's hard for me to like, oh, I got to smile, look happy. So these guys stood around for six hours, but there's a reason for it. And we'll get to that in a second. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all of the people. And he opened it and the people stood. So when he started reading, the people all stood up. The reason they stood up is they respected what he had to say. Everybody got it? Um, when I was a kid, we said the Pledge of Allegiance. Did you sit down during the Pledge of Allegiance? When I was in Texas for the Astros game, there were people who I, I don't think they could have stood taller because it's Texas, right? I think some of them brought milk crates to stand on because it's Texas and they do things, you know, they're bigger. Um, but they standing up is a sign of respect. They didn't have to do it. These folks stood up because they're like, oh, we're going to hear it. And they wanted to show respect. Um, so they stand up, they're being respectful, they're attentive, they're locked in on this. Um, and then Ezra reads for six hours. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Um, now watch this. So he basically he gets up and he preaches a sermon. Right? Or he reads the text. Um, And then he he finishes with Amen, Amen, um, and refers to the great God. This is what's called a benediction, right? A benediction you sometimes hear after a service where, like, you'll say something. I do a blessing at the end of service. But he ends with with this benediction, like this blessing, this closing phrase. And the people are so, like, excited that they, like, just, they drop down and they worship God, like, on the spot. And when they, they raise their hands praying, some people do that, some people don't. It's not like law that you have to or not, but these folks are like into it, right? And, and so they do this thing. They pray, they worship, and um, the passage goes on. Uh, also, Yeshua, Jeshua, it would be Yeshua, right? Yeshua. It's um, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, uh, Sabathiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, uh, Azariah, uh, Jozabad, Hanan, Paliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Um, one of the best blessings I ever had as a person. I, I became a Christian when I was probably 13, right? And I, I got a Bible. It was a brown New International Pew Bible. I don't remember where I got it from. I think I actually took it out of the pew in front of me. 
at this Lutheran church I went to, and I, and I took it home, and I started reading it. And has anybody ever had this happen where you open the Bible and you read it, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on? It's true, isn't it? I mean, it happens to some folks. And, and um, so I, I read, and I read, and I read, and I'm like, I don't get any of this, but it's important, so I'm going to read it. And then I started going to this thing called catechism class. I had no idea what that meant at the time. I only sort of know now. Um, But my parents said I had to go. And so I went, and every week we would meet in the pastor's office, and the pastor would sit down, and he would just explain stuff to us. He would go through parts of the Bible, and he would go through this book called a catechism book, which is basically questions and answers. And he would just talk to us, had a conversation. And that conversation would sometimes last two or three hours. And I loved it. And I loved it not because, like, not because um, I'm so interested in sitting in class. Anybody who knows me well knows that I can't sit still for five minutes straight. I was an awful student in school because I can't sit still. But, man, I wanted – this guy was explaining the stuff I didn't understand. It was awesome. Um, this is important, right? Because as we, as we pursue God, right, we have two options. Follow me here. This is a big deal. There are folks who will arrive. I have decided I'm going to follow God, and I've got that nailed down, and now I just need to show up to church until I die, and then I go to heaven, and that's it. You know, I'm saved by Jesus. It's all done. And the arrival is it, right? And there are folks who, upon learning that God's Son dies for our sins, right? Like, Jesus literally, like, has anybody here not ever done something bad? Does anybody here have stuff that you like lay in bed at night and you think about and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. I hope nobody ever, ever, ever finds out. I'm going to carry the shame of that until I die. I got a whole volume of those. Um, Jesus literally, when he's crucified, he takes punishment for that. Every rotten, horrible, awful thing I ever did, Jesus literally, it's like he got sent to his room instead of me. It's like he got, you know, spanked instead of me. It's like he got nailed to a piece of wood and tortured to death instead of me, right? And, and like all of my offense against God, like Jesus took it. And all I have to do is say, you know, I, I believe Jesus died for me and, I, and I, he'll be my Lord and I'm saved. Like I don't have to earn it. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to do any of that stuff um, because if it involved me being perfect, I would be in trouble, some, most of y'all know me and know that's true, right? Um, but grace is God's free gift. I don't have to earn it. I'm forgiven because God loves me enough to sacrifice his son in my place, to take my wickedness off of me. And then when I learned that as a kid, I said, all I want to do is be more like that. I am so thankful that all I want to do is be more of what God means me to be. And so I found stuff to do, and I found books to read, and I found people to talk to. And some of them weren't very good people to talk to. I didn't learn until I was older that they were telling me things that just weren't true. But that's all right because I grew and I learned and I worked and I put effort in because just because I arrive in Texas means I get to sit on my laurels. I got work to do, right? Um, I got things to accomplish um, last week I talked about it like the gym, right? I've got weight equipment in my garage that has two inches of dust on it. Um, just owning that weight equipment doesn't make me fit, right? Um, 
And so these folks, they hear the law, they hear what God expects of them, and they are, oh, wow, I need to hear this. And they pay attention for six hours. And then they got folks who come out into the crowd, these 13 guys, they come out into the crowd, the ones who stand up front, they come out into the crowd, and they gather people up in groups, and they start explaining, hey, this is what this meant. Hey, this is what this meant. You, you know, this part, this is what this meant. And they start unpacking it. Actually, the word that they use to describe what these guys are doing is translate. And there's probably two reasons for this. It was probably read in Hebrew. And most of these folks spoke a different language. <laughs> they probably spoke some Hebrew, but like learning in a second language. I don't know. We got our, our gal here from England, and she has to hear me talking in, in English. And so she's learning in a second language. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I've been building up to that joke for days. Um, <laughs> so so um, they had folks that came out and translated the language, but they also unpacked it and explained it, right? And that's a good thing. Um, so they didn't just read it, but they had it explained to them. And probably folks were saying, well, this is how you apply this to your life. This is how you make this into something more. This is how you make this into something that you're not just doing, um, and they read from the book of the law clearly, and they gave the sense, which means they translated, right, so that the people understood the reading. So they made sure that the folks who were gathered there, this is what it means. And they were blown away, right? Um, they, were, they were moved in a huge way. We keep going. Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of God. Now, there's probably two reasons for this. Pay attention. This is cool. Um, there was a time in my life where I, I got as lost as I've ever been. I, I think I was still following Jesus, but I wouldn't follow him, right? And when I, when I started kind of picking up the pieces of me being, like, stupid, um, I, I read the Bible from cover to cover. It was the first thing I did. I did it in six weeks, I think. And I got to the part about the law, and the more I read, the more I was like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and I knew it was true, but sitting down and reading it put it right there in front of me. We don't follow Jesus because... Um, because it's popular. We don't follow Jesus because it's what our parents tell us to do. We don't follow Jesus because if we don't, we'll go to hell. We follow Jesus because, um, because God sets out standards and we fail them. And it's the only way we can get past that failure. Um, I think it's Psalm says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed my sins from me. So this begins by knowing what we've done wrong. And the Holy Spirit moves in us and convicts us and says, hey, this is a big deal. You need to do something about it. Have you ever realized you were doing something wrong and you were so, like, shocked that you were doing it wrong that you, like, wanted to go back and fix it all? It's like that. These people were blown away and they're like, wow, we probably ticked God off pretty bad. And the other thing is they probably looked at the world around them and said, man, the world we live in is not the way God intended it to be. Right? Can we all agree on that? Um, and they mourn the fact that God's world is broken. Um, and so these folks, they start weeping and mourning. Now, I said earlier, it's the new year. This is actually called the Festival of Trumpets. They did it once a year. It was a holiday. And the idea was 
um, that you would celebrate it. You, you would have like a big meal and you would share the meal with the neighbors and it was a thing to celebrate, right? Um, and so the governor and the, and the priest and the, hey guys, stop crying. Stop being upset because this isn't a day that we're upset. This is a day that we celebrate. Um, for us believers, for us today, we celebrate because we have good news and that good news is that Jesus died for us, that God doesn't hate us, Right? That we can not look back on the, on the garbage in our past. We can just look forward to what God has for us. We can set about working on the things that God has for us to do. Um, and so we have good news. Um, and that's something to celebrate. When we gather to worship, we don't gather to cry. We gather to celebrate. We gather to be filled with joy. We gather to, like, glow as a group, Right? Because the Holy Spirit is in us and because Jesus died for us and because we belong to him. And so he says, listen, um, don't cry, don't weep, don't any of that, celebrate. Um, Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I'm going to hit pause there. Um, He says to them, hey, go out and eat the fat and drink the wine. Right? Eat the fat means go out and eat the best parts of the animal. He's basically telling them, go eat prime rib. Right? I've never lived in a place where people ate more prime rib. It is weird. (laughs) But it is good, right? He tells them, go out and eat the best part of the steak. Um, Have a party and eat the best food you can. Drink the best drinks you can. Celebrate. Right? Um, Don't be sad. Celebrate. Um, because, because we're, we're right with God. Um, so the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for the day is holy and do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now to send portions, what this means is if you have neighbors that don't have enough, feed them. Got it. If you have neighbors that aren't taking care of themselves, Feed them, take care of them. Um, this is important because, like, these guys were cheating each other before. They were taking the neighbor's kids as slaves. They were, you know, stealing each other's houses. Um, and they went out and they did what they were supposed to do. They understood the weight of the law, and it changed them. Any time, any time, any time we come into contact with, like, the Holy Spirit and with Jesus himself, and we realize the great work God has done, it cannot help but change us. For some of y'all, this is an alarm beeping in your ear. Figuratively or literally. Thank you, Big D. I knew it was coming. I was trying to time it well. For some of y'all, this is an alarm ringing in your ear because there is stuff you haven't cleaned up. You have arrived in the place where you are following Jesus, and there is stuff that you figure Jesus is probably okay with this. I'm going to keep holding on to it. I can keep visiting those internet websites. I can keep, you know, mistreating my wife. I can keep not talking to my kids anymore because I don't like them. I can keep hating the neighbor. I can keep stealing occasionally. I can keep, I mean, there's all this stuff. And some of us arrive in the place where the wall is built and we're safe. And we think, I am here. I have nothing else to do. I'm going to ride it out. These are folks who are changed because when the Spirit moves in our lives, it changes us. It's not enough that Jesus died for me. I want to be what he desires me to be because he died for me. If somebody died in my place, man, I'd go a long way. 
a long way to do right by them. And so they were changed. They went out and they lived different. Um, On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Um, Now watch this. Everybody gathered to hear it. And then the next step, um, the heads of the houses, the fathers, gathered to study. Here's the reason this happens. Um, Men, are you all listening to me? If, if not, you, need, you know, like if you're asleep, wake up. Um, men, <laughs> men, your job, your job is to lead your family spiritually. It is to be mature spiritually. It is to grow closer and to be like Jesus as much as possible. And then when you go home, to spread that to your family. Some of you all might say, well, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have a family. Men and actually everybody else in this case, your job is to demonstrate what it is to be like Jesus to your neighbors and to the folks you come in contact with. You're to carry that light so that it brings light into the darkness. I'll tell you what, the reason I started going to church in the first place was because I went to a picnic, and the people at this church picnic were nicer to me than anyone I'd ever met in my entire life. And I said, man, I don't know what they got, but I want it. Right? These were people who were like Jesus and showed it. In this case, the men gather and the men learn and the men go home and apply. They teach their families. Um, But all of us have this job of learning, growing, and teaching. Um, The passage goes on to there. Oh, I lost it. Um, The passage goes on from there, there, but we're going to kind of stop because there's several verses where it talks about something called the Feast of the Tabernacles, um, which starts like the first day of this month. So like it's actually the Feast of the Tabernacles that they're starting to celebrate the second day. Um, And what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to have this whole celebration that lasts a week where they celebrate that God brought them out of slavery. Kind of interesting, huh? Um, And they would like build tents in the yard or booth, little huts out of wood, and they'd live in those tents. And they would say, we're living here to remember God brought us out of slavery. Right? Um, So these folks... They, the men come in, they learn, they go home, they teach their families, and then they start saying, God brought us out of slavery. God brought us out of enslavement. God brought us out of the garbage that we were in, in Egypt, and he brought us to freedom. Um, And there's something to be heard there, right? If you are hearing about Jesus, if you know the law and you know you've screwed up royally, um, we celebrate that God brings us out of slavery to our own sin, right? We celebrate that, that, we're free to be who God intended us to be, to grow and be something more. We celebrate that. Um, they celebrated with a meal, and we're actually going to close with that today, um, the Lord's Supper, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I have something I would like for you all to do. Um, and I need two volunteers very quickly. Oh, I ask you to play piano, and you can't get up. But <laughs> um, I have note cards. In every pew, there are, well, hold on, let's make sure I got enough in both of them. In every pew, there are pens.